Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Brett Baer, uh, Chief Political Anchor for Fox News Channel, host of uh, Special Report, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. <laughs> uh, moderating this panel today, and it's very timely, obviously, um, about Russian influence, interference, past, present, and future. Uh, we have a great panel with us to talk about all angles of this, uh, and we'll talk about the different aspects of it. Obviously, in the news today, as the president just took a, a question about it in Poland, um, let me introduce the panel. First of all, Michael Duran, senior fellow at the Hudson, Hudson Institute. Michael Pregent, adjunct fellow here at Hudson. David Tafuri, he's a partner at Denton's law firm. And Hannah Thoburn, a research fellow at Hudson Institute. And all of them come with uh, various previous expertise on this issue generally and some different thoughts about uh, different sides of it. Let me start with this one question just kind of down the row. Can we stipulate that Russia meddled in the 2016 election, tried to interfere with the caveat that there's zero evidence that any votes actually were changed, but did do so this past election? Yeah, absolutely. But the extent of it's been exaggerated. Absolutely, but I think they, they failed at it based on the outcome. Uh, yes, uh, the January 6th report from the intelligence agencies is pretty clear, and I think nobody has come up with anything to refute it. Yes, but with the ultimate goal of undermining the confidence of the American people and their democracy. So the president today was asked about it, and he said, quote, I think it could very well be Russia, but I think it could very well be other countries. I think a lot of people interfere. He then kind of went on and said, I don't think anyone really knows. And I, I guess, Michael Pregent, the question is, you know, he's getting ready to meet with Vladimir Putin on Friday. It doesn't sound like this is going to be a top on his agenda. It should be. I, I don't like the, the, the language where you caveat who's responsible for what happened based on what we know from the intel community. But what I do like is that he gave a speech in Poland. And what I do like is that he's talking about putting the Patriot battery system back in Poland, which is a direct affront to Russia and kind of flies in the face of the narrative that somehow uh, Trump is Putin's puppet. David, um, CIA Director Pompeo said it's pretty clear about what took place, that Russian involvement in efforts to hack information and have impact on American democracy. It's something America needs to take seriously. Uh, is there a sense that the president is taking it seriously? I, I thought he was until this morning. Um, I thought his comments this morning in the press conference were pretty astonishing. Maybe he was jet lagged, but it seems like in, in all this time since he said last fall that it might have been Russia or it might have been a 400-pound person sitting on their couch, um, he really apparently hasn't progressed in his view and his belief as to who is responsible, which is really, really astonishing. And he seems to be off pace with the rest of his administration. I would note that Secretary of State Tillerson conceded on May 14th on Meet the Press that it was clearly Russia in his view that was responsible. He's, of course, looking at the same intel reports that led the intelligence officials in the Obama administration to conclude on January 6th that Russia was seeking to in interfere in the election, and it was doing so with the specific purpose of trying to hurt Hillary Clinton's chances of prevailing. 
Everyone else seems to be in an agreement on that in this administration, in the last administration, except perhaps the president. All right. So, Michael, is this interference abnormal, something that we as a country should worry about and the president should be pressing Vladimir Putin on on Friday? It's uh, it's a new normal with the Russians. I mean, it's not. It wasn't abnormal during the Cold War. The attempt to um, undermine Western institutions. We got used to uh, Russia not behaving in this way, and it's kind of returned to form. I don't think we should we should be talking just about interference in the election. We should be talking about the expansion of Russian. Uh, uh, power across the globe in Syria and Ukraine. There are active measures throughout uh, throughout uh, Europe and, uh, and and so forth. Um, I agree with what Mike said. The key here is that the president made these remarks in Poland. He's not going to say Russia interfered in the election because to admit that in the current context when he has so many people in the media here saying that he colluded with the Russians, it's tantamount in his mind to, to saying that he was he was to an admission of collusion. But what he's doing is he's is he is deterring the Russians to a much greater extent than President Obama ever did. And we need to think about deterring them across the board, not just in terms of their cyber activities. Hannah, there's obviously ongoing congressional investigations. There's now a special counsel, counsel Robert Mueller. Um, was there an illegal act here? I think that's what those committees are set up to investigate. We don't know that. Uh, but what we do know is that there was some kind of interference, there was hacking, and it was done by the Russian government. And you're seeing, as Mike Duran mentioned, the emergence of a new pattern. You're seeing this in the French elections, uh, the German elections that are coming up right now. You see a great amount of worry uh, on the part of the Germans. And I think that you know the, the problem we're running into is that President Trump seems to feel that by admitting and saying that there was Russian interference, He's saying that he's not a legitimate president. And I don't think anyone would, would, would agree with that. Even President Obama made it clear that Donald Trump is the rightfully elected president of the United States and that this investigation should not call that into question. But I do think there's a larger question here, and I would love to see the president come out and, and really recognize that this is part of a larger problem that we're going to have to deal with for a very long time. And unless we start to recognize that, we're already going to be further behind um, in the learning curve than we already are. So are there two sides, or is this what everybody's saying, there's two sides here, these allegations of collusion with the Trump campaign and the Russians prior to the election, and then the concern about Russia activity overall. Michael, separate those two and go specifically to the investigations that are ongoing and the allegations of collusion. Well, there was a, a counterintelligence uh, investigation initiated in June of 2015, or 2016. Um, and against Mike Flynn. So that was the investigation, but it wasn't on Mike Flynn. It was on Russian attempts, intelligence attempts, to try to co-opt members of the Trump team, surrogates. Um, so that's, that's the one part. The second part of this is the, I, I believe that the only time Russian interference actually became an issue was at 2.40 a.m. on 9 November when Hillary Clinton had lost the campaign. Uh, people needed to find some reason to justify it, and all of a sudden, Russia—it was—it was Russia, and then the uh, the Mike Flynn leak to the New York Times came out about this counterintelligence investigation initiated by the FBI. So you have collusion, but again, uh, the reason I'm on this panel—we uh, were all Russia guys before we were Al Qaeda guys. Before 9/11, every intel officer was was literally a Russia guy or a China guy. Guy being non-gender specific, excuse me. <laughs> so the. Um, 
the thing about <clears throat> this 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 Russian interference is when you look at Ambassador Kislyak being the spy master, every intelligence officer in the West knows that that's not your lead recruiter for a source, meaning your ambassador. You use surrogates. So there, there's, there's a lot of things. And then when you use the ambassador's title, you, you take the title out and didn't, you don't say Ambassador Kislyak. You just say Kislyak to make it more nefarious. I thought it was a different guy. I'm like, who are you talking about? I said, it's the Russian ambassador. I said, okay. Remember, Kislyak was brought to Senator Manchin and Senator Cardin to get them to vote for the Iran deal. They didn't, but Kerry brought the Chinese ambassador and the Russian ambassador around us to the Senate members that were on the fence and had Russia's spy master sell the Iran deal to Senators Cardin and Manchin. So if you're in the intel community and you take this stuff seriously, this Russian interference, and I called it failed interference because, again, the strongest testimony on the Hill <clears throat> came uh, from a former colleague of mine I served in the military with, uh, Clint Watts. And he said, Russia uses RT. Well, 1% of the U.S. population watches RT, and 20% of the population only knows about RT post-November 9th, 2.40 a.m. Um, the other part was Twitter bots. So Russian interference amounted to false stories and Twitter bots, and a spy master trying to engage at the highest levels of the Trump administration in, in the open. So when uh, Representative Swalwell was asked, okay, we'll concede all your points, Russia interfered in the election. What is your solution? And this is what he said. This is what Schiff's deputy said. He said, we need to make sure Americans don't believe everything they read, <laughs> don't listen to everything they hear in the media, and that you listen to the Geek Squad guy at Best Buy. And don't fall for phishing scams and upgrade your, your basically your cyber security software. So, I'm having a hard time seeing that this rises to a level of concern as a democracy. I think the one thing that Russia has found out is that we can really rile up the press if we put a story out there. I mean, I, I, if I was Russian until I'd leak a story that Paul Ryan was working with the Russians to pressure Trump to do something favorable for Russia, and watch the media go crazy with it. So, Dave, I assume you have a different view, but what is the, um, to, specifically to, to Michael talking about the, the collusion, you know, a lot of Republicans up on the Hill say it's a nothing burger. Some Democrats say not only is there smoke, but there's fire, and some Democrats have already started drafting articles of impeachment. So you have a pretty wide dichotomy of different views of collusion. Where are you? So I look at this through a different lens than my friend Michael. Uh, I look at it as, as a lawyer. And uh, at the base of this, we do have a crime. Uh, Russian agents broke into the DNC's emails. That is a crime. It is a violation of the law in the US. And it is appropriate for that crime to be investigated. We also have uh, a unanimous conclusion by the intelligence community that Russia was responsible for this. Um, and now these investigations that are going forward, particularly the special counsel investigation and the two congressional investigations in the House and Senate Intelligence Committee are very focused on what level of knowledge and or involvement did the Trump campaign have with respect 
to those underlying crimes? And we don't know the answer to that yet. But part of the reason we don't know the answer to that yet is because much of the evidence has not yet been collected. Uh, the special counsel's investigation has really just begun. Uh, they have hopefully have inherited the information and evidence that the FBI collected. And the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, while they've had a head start on the special counsel committee, they don't have the same uh, uh, capabilities and experience in doing this type of very difficult, complicated investigation. So what I'm watching for is what will the, where will these investigations lead to? And there are a number of different ways that more evidence will be produced. One is from witnesses. And we know there are a number of witnesses um, who we have not heard from at all. That includes Flynn. That includes Manafort. That includes Page. And it includes others from Trump's inner circle. The FBI, the special counsel's office, is now talking to them. So one source of potential information about whether or not there was collusion will be these witnesses. And in particular, if these witnesses have cr criminal culpability, as some of them clearly do, Flynn, for instance, seems to have criminal culpability, they may be interested or willing to cooperate and provide further evidence. The other particularly um, important critical area for the focus of the investigations in the House and Senate and the special counsel is if there were financial ties. And we don't know the answer to that yet, but what we do know is that the special counsel has brought in investigators and lawyers with a wealth of experience in, in investigating and exposing financial fraud. They know how to track money. So will they or will they not find evidence of financial improper financial payments between Russia or Russian agents and the Trump campaign? Those are the things that really need to be the focus. And what I believe all of us should do, because at the base of this is a crime, an intrusion into our election process, is that we should all support that those investigations going forward in a fair, neutral way with all of the resources that they need. And we need to be patient about waiting for the evidence, because it's going to take a while for it to come out. Michael. Uh, it's outrageous. The, uh, it's a principle of law that you can't have an investigation of somebody without probable cause. There's no probable cause for collusion between the Trump administration and, uh, and Vladimir Putin. Uh, no, there's, we've been, we've had high level Obama official after high level Obama official, uh, uh, tell us, including, uh, in, including the director of the CIA, tell us that there's no evidence of collusion. That's interesting for so you. Can, but, so you but, can't have, you can't have a special investigator going around and rooting through all of the lives of people unless there's probable cause. That's, that's number one. Number two, there's one crime that we have absolute evidence for, and that's the leak from a senior Obama official to David Ignatius on January 12th saying that, uh, that, uh, that Flynn was, had discussions with Kislyak. That the leak, that was a leak of classified surveillance intelligence, and it was, which is a crime. So that, that is a crime that should be investigated. And that crime is not an ordinary leak because it was a leak that was put forward in support of a lie, the lie being collusion between the Trump administration and the, um, uh, and, and the, and the Russians. So it, was, it, it, it wasn't just a crime. It was also a huge abuse of power. And everyone seems to have forgotten this. That's where I went in an investigation. The um, Mueller has no right to be rooting through the the files of every Trump official, hoping to find some kind of connection to the Russians. There's no evidence. You, 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 had, 
Well, I mean, he has a right because the deputy attorney general appointed him to do this. And the deputy attorney general may know more about uh, whether there's probable cause or not than you do. The, the, the moment, deputy attorney general, who's an appointee the, of President Trump, made that decision. The moment this him. became the moment this became the most absurd Hollywood comedy is when Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the third senator from Alabama was put in the frame of being a, a, a puppet of Vladimir Putin. That's the moment when we should have all said, what is wrong with this picture? This is ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. Hannah, what about Michael's uh, case that the only crime here is the leak? Look, I think the, the thing that concerns me the most is that this has really turned into a partisan squabble. Neither side, on the Republican side or the Democratic side, seem to be able to see this for what it is. It is part of a larger pattern that we in the West, we in the United States, we're sitting here spinning our wheels over whether what, what is a crime, what is not a crime, who has probable cause, who doesn't, which party is right, etc., etc. And we're not focused on the, the actual danger to our country. If that is one thing that Russia is willing and able to do, and they're getting away with it, what says they're not going to try something bigger, something worse, something like the attack that just happened in Ukraine, something like some of the attacks that have happened, you know, taking down the Estonian Internet in 2007, infiltrating some uh, of the electrical grids of countries in Eastern Europe. This is where it starts, and we're spending all of our time on this partisan bickering and not on the larger question, which is, Russia interfering in our democratic processes. The other thing the president said this morning was um, he said he didn't know exactly who it was. He, he thinks it could be the Russians or other countries, but no one really knows is the quote. And then he said, but Obama was briefed by the CIA um, and didn't do anything about it and came back to that a couple of times in the news conference. Um, what about that answer by the president? Um, I think it is inaccurate to say he didn't do anything. He did something, but it was very small and probably not enough. But I do think if you're in that position, if you put yourself in President Obama's shoes, yes, he probably expected Hillary Clinton to win. Frankly, most people expected Hillary Clinton to win. If you are President Obama at that point in time, you have a very difficult political choice to make. Do you come out? and basically say that Russia is trying to elect Donald Trump and potentially throw the election one way or the other? Or do you let the election play out and see what actually happens? I think it's an extremely difficult choice to make. He, he made the choice in one direction. Maybe in hindsight, that wasn't the right uh, choice. But it is, in fact, a very difficult choice that you have to ask about what role does the sitting president have in interfering in an election of his successor. Michael Pritchett, I'd, I'd like to actually back up the President Obama on this and say that he was probably briefed by his intelligence community and he, was at, he probably asked them, can Russia tilt this election? And the answer is no. What mediums are they using to tilt this election? They're using RT, they're using Sputnik, they're using Twitter. Can they change the election? No, they can't. If I say something, does it fall into Trump's argument that the, the, the election is rigged? Does it help Hillary? Does it do these types of things? I think the intelligence community said this is, it's not here yet, sir. It might be what Hannah's talking about. <clears throat> See, I'm an American, right? So we look at Russian interference in Eastern Europe. 
To change my vote, I expect family members to be blackmailed. I expect to be honeypotted. I expect an invasion from, 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 to, from Mexico to El Paso, my hometown. I expect things to happen. I expect the electrical grid in El Paso to go down to change my vote. It's not going to happen with RT or, or a tweet. I mean, remember, the intelligence report said that Russia went after 36 polling stations and failed to penetrate any of them. Uh, the phishing scheme, there's only one person that fell for Russia's phishing scheme, and that's John Podesta. And John Podesta was warned by the FBI prior to that that Russia was trying to hack. We should point out that his password was password. Right. <laughs> yes. Note password. to everyone, that's not a great password. <laughs> I mean, I, we just looking at the facts. Yes, we, I, I dislike Russia for what they're doing in Syria. I don't like what they did in Ukraine. I don't like what they do in Crimea. <clears throat> I don't like that if you do go to a hotel in Moscow, it's likely bugged. It's likely filmed. I don't like that they had the best, the best geographical location in Washington, D.C. to eavesdrop on the Capitol. I don't like those things. Those things are, are, are Cold War things that we looked at <clears throat> as intelligence officers. I don't like uh, the Russians that were, that were captured in, in 2008 hanging out at Sinead's in Pentagon City, Pentagon Row, across from the Pentagon, where I wish I was a foreign intel guy. I could sit in Sinead's and listen to every officer talk about what they do at the Pentagon and keep a, keep a tab on it because it's that easy. Um, they got rolled up for, for doing exactly that, honeypotting Pentagon officers. Uh, that's interference. That's what we know Russia to do. I'm not intimidated by Twitter memes and avatars. And, and, and the best part, about, uh, best part about Russia is they, they, they failed in the U.S. Again, even, even on your, your coverage of the election night, Brett, did you think Trump was going to win? No, it was a complete surprise. Right. I mean, uh, the exit polls said right. we were going to call it for Hillary Clinton at 11. Exactly. So, so this, this only became important after the election. But the thing about this is RT is an outed propaganda machine. Everybody knows not to trust RT. Um, if you look at what actually hurt the Hillary Clinton campaign, I, don't, I know this is maybe a little bit off topic, it was the Comey letter coming out 11 days prior to the election. That was more damning. And, and um, Nate Silver from New York Times said that's exactly what it was that hurt but it hurt the campaign. If I, if I can respond. I'm with you. If there's facts and there's, there's Russia's doing all these things, I'm with you. I think, but, I think first of all, you portrayed Obama's reaction improperly. Um, you said that he didn't do anything about this because he wasn't worried no, that Russia could influence. Right. But if you read the Washington Post story that came out two weeks ago, it describes an, the exact opposite re reaction, that the White House was Is that extremely... the one where they revealed that we were actually putting in cyber... Worms and cyber cyber attack. So that's the one where they, where the Washington Post actually leaked highly classified information to protect the president's legacy. Well, if you, <laughs> that's the one you're talking about, right? Um, I mean, I'll let you have your own fight with the Washington Post, but as I want to stay on subject. Uh, what it describes is an Obama White House that was in a crisis mode in reaction to the realization that this intrusion had happened that had been ordered from the very top by Putin. And where the mistake was made, and the Washington Post describes this, and, and the reaction to, to many is appropriate, was that the Obama, the Obama administration didn't do more. But it was not for a lack of worry of the potential impact and the threat that Russia posed. It was more consistent with President Obama's reaction to many foreign policy events, which is to be extremely cautious and to take a long time to decide what to do. But what I also find amazing 
is that what he finally did do is put in place some sanctions on Russia, including uh, taking away their Russia's two protected diplomatic vacation compounds in New York and in Maryland, which the Washington Post describes to be filled to the chimney with surveillance equipment. Not figuratively, literally, they built new chimneys and put surveillance equipment in the chimneys. And this is what Obama did, and it was weak, and it was meager, and it wasn't enough uh, to retaliate and send a message to Russia, but this is what he did. And President Trump wants to roll back even that. He wants to give back these compounds, which is the Washington Post. After we wire it for surveillance equipment. Michael. uh, Look, when when did he institute those sanctions? December. The the last weeks of December. December. Exactly when they started, the White House started a propaganda campaign to depict Trump as Trump's that was that is what it, that is what it was part of, and you go back and you look at remember the remember the Vermont dam that the that the Russians uh, supposedly hacked into. That was that very speedily that was a result of the very speedily put together Homeland Security report on Russian hacking, which was which was a joke, uh, and which included the Yahoo servers that the Russians had been supposedly using. Um, the 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 uh, administrator at the uh, at the dam put into his defensive software, the Yahoo server, that then pinged uh, as if the Russians, because, because it's a Yahoo server, then when, when, it, when, a, when a dam employee went to check his email, it pinged as the Russians trying to, to, to conduct a cyber attack. And suddenly we have, the, we have the, the White House reporter of the Washington Post reporting that the Russians are, 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 are hacking, right? So there was, a, there was a huge effort by the Obama administration in the last weeks to raise this issue of Russian hacking when they did nothing, nothing for all for eight years before. Let's not forget the let's not forget Hillary Clinton's reset. Let's not forget President Obama turning to Medvedev and saying that uh, after the election he was going to be much more flexible. Let's not forget all of the intel that showed that the Russians were about to make a big muscle movement in Syria and we did nothing. Every Russian provocation. Look at Clint Watts had a very nice uh, testimony before Congress where he talked about all the active measures that that he as a private internet security, uh, as, a, as a guy who has a, a private internet security company, had been tracking for years, for years. So we knew those compounds existed. We knew that the Russians were engaged in all kinds of nefarious actions. And we did nothing until December 29th, just before the, the Trump inauguration. Part of the, one of the, one of the psychological benefits to the Democrats of this Russian collusion nonsense is that it has completely whitewashed the whitewashed the uh, the appeasement of the Russians by Obama. We've just we've just forgotten all that. The other thing it's forgotten. You said it was Co- the Comey letter that defeated Hillary Clinton. I read the book Shattered about the uh, about the Clinton campaign. The Clinton the Clinton campaigners when they lost said we lost because of. Clinton Incorporated. Yeah, I mean, we can go back and debate the election and why she didn't right. go to Wisconsin or, or how Michigan played out. But on this issue, how about President Trump's response to some of this? Some of the tweets, Michael, some of the statements, some of the things, the actions, the firing of Comey, you, Michael, ah. um, <laughs> the firing of Comey. Like, those actions, those responses, the tweet about the tapes in the White House that leads Comey to then 
he says, it, uh, the, the leak the, to the, the New York Times, at which then produces the special counsel or the, the impetus for the deputy attorney general to form, to call for the special counsel. They've mishandled, the president and his staff have mishandled a lot of the accusations against them. Sometimes even in the way that he's handled them, seeming to give legitimacy and credence and, 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 and credence to them. A lot of that I attribute to a, um, a lack of understanding of how Washington works and a lack of understanding of what the attack they were, where, where the attack was coming from. What we have is a coordinated attack between elements in the press, elements in the bu bureaucracy, and sitting during the transition and now former Obama officials weaving, uh, weaving this vast left, this vast right-wing conspiracy, I don't even call it right-wing, this vast Trump-Putin conspiracy theory, which doesn't hold up under scrutiny. But remember, we had, we had, we had serious journalists, serious pundits back in, uh, back in uh, December and January writing about, about Trump and Compromat. Right, that Putin really had the goods on on, on Trump, and he was in, and and Trump had all of these. Uh, uh, Putin had his economic hooks hooks into Trump and so on. People believe this uh, on the Democratic side. People still believe this. We still have people talking about talking about. Coalition. But how do we know that there isn't anything there? We we don't know, do we? There's no evidence. There's no there's no serious evidence of collusion. You have to give me one serious piece of evidence. Wait, wait. Not, all due respect, all due respect, Michael, huh? all due respect. You say this was caused by a vast left-wing conspiracy. On January 6th, the intelligence agencies put out a report. It was a, a unanimous conclusion that Russia interfered in our election. We started this panel by talking about how Russia interfered in our election. It's hard to get this, the Coast Guard to come you can't on get, You cannot get the CIA, FBI, NSA to come to agreement on something like this and say this is a vast left-wing conspiracy. First of all, it would, first of all, it's not true that it was that, that it was uh, uh, twelve uh, analysts that, that it was a unanimous report. But aside from that, we stipulate we started out with a stipulation here that they did these things. They probably hacked the DNC computer. They 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 got they, they used their uh, their incredible prowess to get the word, the password password. From uh, uh, from Podesta, uh, and they use their bots and, and and RT and other things to influence the election. But as Mike said, Vladimir Putin didn't have any ability to understand to predict what was going to happen in this election that was better than Nate Silver's. The goal of all of that was to tarnish our institutions and to tarnish President Hillary Clinton, right? And to jump from there and to say, as as Hillary Clinton did uh, about a month ago, and suggest that there were Americans, meaning the Trump campaign, that were in cahoots with, uh, with Putin to do this. They didn't need the Trump campaign in order to do these things. They do these things all around the world all the time, and we know all about it. So where's the evidence? Where's the evidence that Trump and, or senior members of his campaign, Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions, we're, we're trading information with Putin about how to defeat Hillary Clinton. And we already talked about that. There's an ongoing investigation. You don't know the evidence yet. I don't know the evidence yet. President Trump doesn't know the evidence yet. Only we have the, the former inside director the of national intelligence and the former director of the CIA saying we had no evidence. Okay. Under testimony all, saying that. First of all, they have... First of all, they also don't know all of the evidence either. The only the only group the that has the only group that has, the that has access to the inf information are the FBI. The FBI I could, I could actually believe that. Uh, the and, old one. 
and and more and more information is coming out slowly and hopefully most information will not come out and will not be leaked it will come out properly when the investigation is concluded but for you to say that there is no evidence is just as silly as for someone to say there is evidence i, re I repeat don't know yet. a fundamental article of our legal system is probable cause there's zip plenty of smoke go ahead smoke. hannah there's often fire. Go ahead. I'm not saying there is fire, but it's worth investigating to see if there is anything connected. All right, talk about the smoke. smoke. Let's talk about the smoke. What, what, we're... David, I'm going to hand this one to you because I'm, <laughs> <There's> <laughs> I'm no, an expert on American politics. There is a, a Wall Street Journal well, article over the weekend regarding a Republican uh, operative, Peter Smith, um, that was a fascinating read. Uh, and it is the closest, I guess, you get to a direct connection if it pans out to be true. <clears throat> David, do you want to weigh in on that? Well, what we know is that there uh, was surveillance that gave uh, the intelligence community and the FBI sufficient concern to open an investigation. That surveillance involved communications between Russia and Russian agents and Trump's inner circle. We know that. We don't know exactly what was said, but we know it was enough to give the FBI uh, concern to open investigation. Now, we also know that the, there are certain Trump inner circle characters who seem to be acting very strangely. Uh, this includes Flynn. This includes uh, Manafort. This includes Page. This, yes, even includes Julian. Senator Sessions. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and now... With President Trump having fired the head of the investigation, Comey, it suggests he is also worried about this investigation. He is clearly worried about this investigation. Now, I don't want to, I'm not going to go any further than that because I don't think it's proper for anyone to speculate as to what the evidence ultimately will show. But what we do have is a number of different people who had odd interlinking connections with Russia that deserve mm -hmm investigation and focus and we have a number of people acting as if there may be something to hide all right let's not just say have. michael preaching yeah, yeah, that yeah, let's just say that we're not going to go down the road of collusion because we don't have all of right. the, the things they're looking at but the other investigation that seems to be talked about more now is the obstruction of justice right. allegation against the president and the administration talk about that is the firing of comey evidence of obstruction knowing what we know now knowing after that testimony I'm dating myself, but does anybody here remember Terrell Owens? You didn't, you didn't like him when he was, was on the other team. You loved him when he was on your team, but you knew the relationship was going to be very short-lived. That's Comey. You love him one day if he's, he's coming after Trump. You dislike him the, the next day if he's going after Hillary Clinton. And the irony of, of the Comey firing is that three hours before he was fired, CNN did a hit piece on Comey about his testimony and how he messed up the number of emails that Hillary supposedly didn't, uh, or that were classified. So three hours before that, Hillary was... Or, in sorry. his testimony the previous week, it was right, about right. a story, of, he talked about the numbers of emails, right. and, and they had to come out with a correction to that testimony. And I found it interesting that three hours before that, uh, CNN was criticizing Comey for incompetence, and then yet uh, bashing Trump for firing him three hours later. I don't think it was good technique. I don't think you fire a guy when he's watching the fact that he's been fired, uh, or people, his audience can see that he's being fired on the screens behind him as he's talking to them. I don't think that's a good way to do things. It is. It is. That's how we should treat Putin. So look at how you're treating Comey. Do that to Putin, and we're going to be good.
So the thing about um, Comey being fired, um, again, it, it, it looked bad, but again, he, I, I truly believe there were, there were advisors in his inner circle that said this might be a good thing. This may be what President Obama thought bringing Bo Bergdahl's parents to the Rose Garden to talk about Bo Bergdahl would have the same effect where people would be supportive of it. And I think there are advisors in his inner circle that thought firing Comey would actually be a good thing. It'd be a bipartisan thing because he was no, no hero of Democrats prior to that. Is the obstruction case solid, Hen? I think, again, it's too early to tell. This is why we investigate things. This is why you have to sit there and actually go through all of the evidence <laughs> to see if there is anything. I think, frankly, it's far too premature. What do you think uh, the hiring of Robert Mueller and who he's hiring tells us about where that investigation is going? Well, that, I think, is extremely interesting, and, and I think David made the very good point that it was the Deputy Attorney General, someone who was put into that position by President Trump, who then made the decision to hire uh, Bob Mueller as the head or the, the lead counsel on this particular investigation. If you look at some of the people who Mr. Mueller has lined up, he does have a very formidable team of former prosecutors, lawyers, people who are experts in Russia, who actually speak the Russian language, who understand how all of this may work, if there in fact was anything, people who understand how Russian intelligence works. And I think he seems to have put together a very strong team. But again, I, I go back to the idea that this is actually being conducted under the auspices of the Trump administration, which to me means that perhaps this whole thing is actually working somewhat properly. Same question to you, David. Um, I think just hired Preet um, Bahara, the uh, former fired uh, federal prosecutor from New York. Well, first of all, on the obstruction of justice um, question, ultimately, if, if, there, if a case were to be brought of obstruction of justice against President Trump, that case would be made in Congress. And impeachment articles would be filed and the Senate would have to have a trial. And there, you would have to look at the evidence. And I think the, the firing of Comey and the descriptions of the phone calls and meetings that Comey had with Trump are each pieces of evidence that could ultimately possibly be used as support for an obstruction of justice charge. It, it would ultimately be up to the Senate to decide whether they were sufficient in aggregate to show obstruction of justice. My guess is because it's a, in the Senate, it would be also a political issue. There's not enough yet. But I would gather to think that uh, Special Counsel Mueller is, is taken up from where Comey started, using the memos and other things to, to put together potentially evidence of obstruction of justice. But it's probably not enough yet. Just one quick thing. <clears throat> the loyalty dinner happened in February. The firing happened in May. And there was a lot of it's a roller coaster relationship that happened between February and May before Comey was fired. <clears throat> and as far as the tapes baiting Comey to come out and actually give the memo or leak the memo, I, I believe Trump was baiting the press by saying there were tapes. Putin had done it a couple weeks earlier when he said, if you want to have tapes of what happened in the White House, I can provide those to you. And the press thought he was serious. And, you know, there's, there's, I think the president enjoys baiting. And, uh, I just, uh, for, as far as the corruption thing is, I just think February to May is a lot of time in there between a firing to say that it was directly connected to the loyalty dinner. 
I, I hear what you're saying. You say this, there's nothing to this. This should be dropped. But this week we'll have witnesses. This following week we'll have uh, Paul Manafort testifying, uh, Flynn. I mean, what kind of testimony potentially does that lay out? Look, the uh, the president said, uh, uh, according to Comey's testimony, the president said, I don't, I don't mind if you investigate some of my satellites, right, which means which means uh, Manafort and, and Page and, and so on. But would you please go out in public and say that you're not investigating me? And he wouldn't do it, right? That's the, that's the essence of the, of, the, of the problem between Comey and, and Trump, is that Comey, Comey went before Congress and said time and time again, I'm sorry, I cannot comment on ongoing investigations. I can't even comment on the existence of an investigation. That's all. In, inappropriate. And then he would say, but there is an investigation of the possibility of collusion between <coughs> the Trump team, uh, between, between the Trump campaign and, and the Russians. So Comey broke regulations when it was convenient for him. And one of the things that he was doing, I think, is he, was, he thought he was guaranteeing his job security by, by feeding this idea, feeding this narrative out there that there was a possibility of, uh, of collusion. He didn't even, the, the press didn't even uh, make a distinction between a counterintelligence investigation and a criminal investigation. They made it sound like it was a criminal investigation. That's what was driving Trump nuts. And when, he, when Trump went, when Comey went and testified and then once again dangled that out before the, um, before the press, it, it, it just, uh, it drove him to the, uh, to the breaking point. A lot of people around Trump have some uh, have shown some bad judgment. Flynn has shown bad judgment. Manafort has shown bad judgment. Uh, I don't know about uh, about Page. As they go and investigate these guys, they may find that they that they made some bad decisions uh, in their life. Flynn, particularly with Turkey, Manafort earlier when he was in Ukraine, uh, and, uh, and and so on. None of that speaks to the core issue. Their bad judgment and, and some of the and some of the inappropriate I would say um, politically uh, uh, politically um, maladroit ways that the Trump administration has responded to these a a accusations. None of that shows probable cause of collusion. So they'll keep spinning this. You know, they'll, they'll gra every little uh, every little morsel they can get a hold of. Are you pointing to Dave and Hannah, or, or just saying people they'll? Trying to get them out. Okay, got it. Got it. Got it. People to the left. People to the left. Got it. But what what testimony changes the dynamic? Does does anything? What what changes the the narrative now? Well, you you mentioned this Wall Street Journal article that came out, which I thought was very interesting. And of course, it's from the Wall Street Journal. I don't think Trump's called them fake news yet, but they're probably next. Um, <laughs> it describes a sort of shadowy um, relationship between a Republican operative, Peter Smith, and Flynn. Um, and at least Peter Smith claimed he knew Flynn. And Peter Smith was out there trying to get work with Russian agents to obtain access to Hillary Clinton's emails for the express purpose of using those emails to hurt her campaign and help the Trump campaign. That's what the article describes. It's uh, in and of itself um, somewhat scandalous, although it doesn't show complete collusion. It suggests the possibility of collusion. But what I think is interesting about that story is not necessarily that story. Although we should that point out that Peter Smith is no longer living. Which is also an odd 
sort of part of the story. He was 81. 80, 80, I know, he was 81. He was 81. Yeah. But he died. He died. Yeah. It's not that's all I'm saying. When 81 people, 81 yeah. year old people, I'm not. I'm not. It's, it's it's actuarial. I'm not suggesting there was anything nefarious about his death, but he died 10 days after he talked to the Wall Street Journal, and that's a fact. Um, but what's also what's interesting to me about that story is is how <clears throat> that's where this investigation could lead, not to that specific story, but that might have happened in a number of different ways, and it might not have been just been Flynn who was engaging with shady characters who were in touch with Russia. And it could have happened at a time when the Trump campaign felt desperate, when they were down in the polls, where they thought they might lose, where they knew Russia had this capability, where you had President Trump saying openly on the campaign, inviting Russia to hack into Hillary Clinton's emails. And the question is, was there ever an improper communication or contact between a Trump inner circle person like a Flynn, but not necessarily a Flynn, and a person like a Peter Smith who truly was in contact with the Russians. And if, if that connection is made uh, in other ways, uh, then that would be the type of thing that could be evidence of collusion that could give uh, uh, Robert Mueller sufficient uh, concern to be more than probable cause, to be evidence of a crime, to be uh, more than probable cause of a crime, to, and to lead them to recommend uh, prosecution. My, That's where this could go. Okay, I've known. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean it will. I've known General Flynn for 22 years. This is a man who sat across from Al Qaeda fighters, sat across from Taliban fighters, uh, was instrumental in targeting ISIS before it was named ISIS, and uh, he, as a former intelligence officer, I would have no problem sitting across from Putin in Russia at an RT event. That's a separate issue. Uh, the 30,000 emails you're talking about, the ones that the FBI tried to get from the Clinton campaign and they said they deleted them because they were personal nature. Trump made the comment, I, Russia, can you help us find the 30,000 emails? I thought it was a joke. I took it as a joke, not as a please. In I thought it was a funny joke. It was hilarious. You know, and I, I think the FBI should have said, hey, that's proper intelligence sharing. We should probably engage with our Russian counterparts and see if we can get these 30,000 emails that we've been asking for. Now, Peter Smith, I mean, I don't want to give a lot of credence to this. He's a, he's a guy who says he knew Flynn. Uh, nobody's ever been able to confirm that. And is a political operative, and you know there's 30,000 emails out there. I mean, I, as an intel officer, would said, I'm not going to go talk to Russia. Hey, the Obama administration didn't care about China when they hacked into the, to the Office of Personnel Management Records in June of 2015. Uh, they took my records, and then I quit my job and made my debt really bad so that nobody would want to steal my identity, which is good stuff. It's the best way to do that. But I would have gone to China and said, hey, can you help me with those Hillary Clinton emails? And then this wouldn't be a scandal. Uh, one of the things about BRICS, everybody knows Brazil, Russia, India, China, that whole economic power base. If you literally took the Trump inner circle and looked at their connections with India, Brazil, China, and what's the other one, South, South Africa, you'd probably see the same network that the Washington Post so prominently displays as this is Trump's ties to Russia. These are things that happen, I think, in the international business, uh, when international business leaders become politicians. They have these relationships. They exist. Now, I always say this, David, that if there are facts and it turns out that people in the administration were working with Russia to try to do something that messed up our democracy, we find out that there are facts, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not going to defend that. But I would like to say that because there is no evidence, doesn't mean there is. And that's what we keep hearing. Well, there's no evidence, so there could be. 
Well, let's look at uh, foreign policy with Russia, U.S.-Russia foreign policy. As the president gets to meet, uh, gets set to meet with President Putin um, tomorrow, uh, today delivering this speech in Warsaw, uh, among other things, saying that Russia needs to stop siding with dictators in Syria and Iran, uh, saying that, um, that Poland is going to be using U.S. liquid natural gas uh, and a new deal uh, to take them off of the uh, energy dependence on Russia. Um, what about foreign policy in the Trump administration tells us anything uh, of a reflection on this situation, these investigations? So I think it's, it is actually a very interesting question. And, and here, I do actually think that, as reported, the remarks that Trump made to Comey about why he wanted the investigation to go away on Flynn is because it was actually hamstringing him on making any moves towards Russia that he wants to do. And I think that's actually accurate. I think you do have a situation right now where U.S. internal politics are in their way hampering the administration from making any choices that it would want to do so that it would want to do in regards to the relationship in Russia. In other words, sign a deal on Syria or move forward on a number of fronts with Russia. Right. That seems right now a very difficult idea to imagine. But what came out of the administration and some of the things that we saw early on, I think were very disturbing. We saw reports that there was an executive order already drafted within those first two or three weeks to completely and fully lift the sanctions on Russia. You've seen other stories about uh, wanting to lift parts of those sanctions, including uh, what, what Mike Prejean said that uh, President Obama did do, uh, removing those vacation homes and those surveillance-filled uh, buildings that the Russian embassy owns here in the United States and kicking 35 um, embassy staffers slash probably intelligence officers out of the country. You've seen the administration make uh, put, out, put out sort of trial balloons to talk about wanting to do these things because I do think there, is, there has been, since the end of the Cold War, Every U.S. president has wanted to do some sort of reset with Russia. I think it was Obama who called it that. But that's precisely the kind of idea that you saw from Clinton, that you saw from Bush. I think Obama made a huge mistake when he reset relations after uh, what happened in Georgia in August of 2008. And frankly, President Bush did not respond very well to that crisis. And now you see a similar instinct from President Trump. It's a common instinct, but I think everything else that surrounds this really calls into question the motivation behind doing any kind of change in the relationship with Russia, particularly at a moment when Russia is engaged in a war in Ukraine, has annexed the Crimean Peninsula, is actively engaged in trying to interfere in the democracies in France, Germany, the United States, and elsewhere, is actively using cyber attacks to undermine the systems in several Eastern European countries, and not to mention Syria. So I think it's a very difficult, I mean, I, I understand the instinct. It's probably a good instinct. But the situation is not the right one. The timing is not the right. So down the panel here, what are the chances that the president brings up the election interference in the meeting on Friday? I think he should bring it up. I know, chances. Um, Probably reasonably low. Dave? They are so incredibly low. I mean, 
<laughs> Michael? I'm just hoping we don't have a repeat of his conversation in the Oval Office with the Foreign Minister. Yeah. Michael, I think you'll bring it up and say, I can't believe they think that you guys interfered in the election. Which would be the worst thing to do. Yes. Oh, I totally disagree. I, he gave his answer. He, he just gave a speech in Poland. He's putting Patriot missile battles uh, uh, battalions in Poland. He's got the Poles screaming Donald Trump. This is Poland, right? This is an anti-Russian move. I, I want to say something to Vladimir Putin. Now's the time to release the compromise. All those, all those embarrassing sexual tapes you have of, of, of Donald Trump, release it now. Remember, there were people in this town, serious people in this town, who took that all very seriously. And look, uh, Trump has returned some traditional military deterrence between us and the Russians. In Syria, he's done it. In, in Poland, he's doing it now. That's the most important thing. Can so, I, can Dave, I guess yeah. the question is, for those who truly believe that this will lead to evidence of collusion and the obstruction of justice cases there, are they then making the argument that these moves that defy Russia in geopolitical sense are solely made in an effort to, to what? Well, I don't think anyone can say, I don't think anyone reasonable should, should be saying that, there is, that this is going to lead to evidence of collusion. What they should be saying is, this is suspect enough that we should make sure the investigation goes forward and we fully and completely vet the evidence to determine whether there was collusion. Now, there are some very strange things that have happened with respect to policy by this administration toward Russia. And it began, uh, at least uh, one of the most outstanding things, was in July in the Republican convention when they suddenly ch completely changed uh, the Republican Party's platform on Ukraine, which was just a bizarre thing for them to do. And, it, and it's never been, still has never been fully explained. And I'd go all the way forward to, uh, to today to the speech that President Trump gave in Poland today, and I disagree with what Michael Duran said. Um, it was a, a, a decent speech. It had some negative things about Russia, but it was not very forceful on Russia. It didn't even mention the, the two or three most important things to Poland vis-a-vis -vis Russia. It didn't mention the missile defense system. He did not mention it he once. Did, actually. He did not mention it. He mentioned the sale of missiles but he did not mention the missile defense system, which is two different things. And the missile defense system was started by Obama, not by Trump. You can't give, you can't give Trump credit for the missile defense system that's being deployed in Poland and Romania. It was started by Obama, and Trump didn't even mention it. I mean, let's hope he stands by it. But there's nothing in his speech today that suggests he will. He also mentioned that there are U.S. troops in Poland. He didn't mention that they are there as part of a NATO expansion to reinforce the borders with Russia. And he didn't mention anything about NATO expansion. Those are probably the most important things to Poland vis-a-vis -vis Russia. So we really don't know what his policy is going to be on Russia. I will note as a positive, he did say something about Ukraine and he mentioned Russian aggression in Ukraine. And I have to admit that I was surprised that he did that because I thought that was important. Well, let me just push back on the uh, on the Republican convention platform. You know, it was the Obama administration that chose not to arm Ukraine. And the Republican, the end line, still had arms to the Ukrainians even after any changes were made. So, I mean, it's an important context of that moment in time at the RNC convention. Um, but to your point, you think that he's not doing enough aggressively against Russia? No, absolutely. Look, I mean, if I can just sort of insert myself on this one, I, 
Look, the, the European Reassurance Initiative that David was talking about, the U.S. troops that are stationed in Poland, that are doing exercises in Lithuania, Hungary, Romania, it's part of a NATO forward deployment that's on uh, rotation, not permanent, but it will rotate every nine months. That is something that did begin during the Obama administration, and it looks as though the Trump administration is going to keep it in place and potentially even increase its funding. Those are both very good things. But I think it's the rhetoric that, the sort of almost schizophrenic rhetoric that you see coming from the White House sometimes, and particularly Donald, Donald Trump, when he says uh, one day, well, maybe we'll, uh, Crimea, whatever, who, who, no worries, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. And then three months later, he says that that was a really terrible thing that Russia did in taking it away, and it's all Obama's fault, how horrible and awful. You almost don't know what to believe out of the administration anymore. And I think the speech today in Poland to me, it was actually full of a lot of um, sort of dog whistles. It's probably not the right term, but it was full of a, a lot of um, ideas that are very popular with the current Polish government, that I think were very popular with the audience that the Polish government had brought in for the speech. And it didn't seem to be geared as much as I think we had hoped it would towards some of these bigger security questions. It was about Polish history. It was about um, civilization. It was about Europe and survival. And it wasn't, it almost seemed sometimes like Article 5 and that one sentence about Russian involvement in Ukraine was just sort of thrown in there. And remember, Poland is a nation that has a large border with Ukraine. This conflict really matters to them. And that was just really not included. What they got instead was a Polish history lesson. I feel like we're watching a different movie. Yeah, because I think they this were very a... empowered by the speech, and they feel like they have a, a new committed ally in the United States. I think we're, we, it's, their interpretation of Trump's speech is more important than ours. He started, he started his trip in Poland, his trip to Europe in Poland. And he, yes, he talked about history, but he said, who are you? You're a people who has been erased from the map. Who did the erasing, right? The Germans and the Russians. The right. This is an, this was an anti-Russian speech. Look, Trump. Uh, yeah, I, I, when I worked in government, it was it was common that that um, that as a staffer, I would take a tougher position than my principal, because my principal had to talk to everybody all the time. I think Trump operates according to the same the same uh, the same idea. He's going to say nice. Uh, nice, encouraging things about about Putin and about the potential of the Russian-American relationship. Meanwhile, he's going to Poland, extolling Polish nationalism and the and the, the, the willingness of the Poles to stand up against their enemies. He's starting his his visit in Europe in from from Poland. He's selling liquefied. Or he's he's encouraging the uh, U.S. LNG sales to Poland, which undercuts. The, the the mainstay of the Russian economy, which is uh, which is the sale of uh, uh, the sale of oil and gas. So uh, all of this, uh, com combined with the military positions that he's taken in in Syria and elsewhere, all of this is a total reversal of the Obama outreach. And to see it as some kind of continuity is just it's just uh, um, I think frankly um, unsupportable. You're shaking your head. Yeah, no, I'm, all of those things that you said are generally correct, but I think that your conclusion is incorrect. <laughs> and, you know, you, you talk, if you really wanted to give a strong speech on national security, you could have done so. 
But two or three throwaway lines in a 37-minute speech do not a strong message create. And I think that's precisely how the Russians see it. The Russians are the ones that I'm thinking about this, this speech through. And that was not, through a Russian eye, a strong speech. That was a speech meant to build Polish-American relations, which is a good thing. That was a speech meant to potentially sell more natural gas, which is a good thing. But yes, the new natural, the natural gas that's coming from Louisiana to the port in the north of Poland, there's only been one shipment. Most of the natural gas is going to actually be supplied likely from Qatar, not from the United States. That was a largely... We'll see if that continues. That we will. <laughs> a different conflict entirely. But a lot of it, to me, is about trade. It's about building relations with a community that did vote very strongly for Donald Trump here in the United States. And it's not that that speech to me, if I'm thinking about it from the, from the Kremlin. If you think yeah, the I would, Polish I would American community helped deliver the election to you, then, then cutting a deal with Russia is not going to help you. Any way you slice and dice this, it, the vector all moves in one in one direction, which is the exact opposite direction, or nearly the exact opposite direction of the uh, of the Obama administration. Uh, my my colleagues here, uh, who uh, my colleagues in Washington, who are so critical of Trump on this issue, for the last two months have been saying, "Yes, okay, Trump uh, tr Trump carried out the strike against the Syrian regime, but he hasn't he hasn't affirmed Article Five of the uh, of the NATO Charter, and that was that was the big sign that Trump was soft on Russia. Hasn't affirmed Article Five. Today he affirmed it. Where did he do it? In, in, he did it in Poland. He did it in Poland. I, this, the, I, I, the, I can't even believe we're arguing this. The Eastern, if that's, I mean, if that's, well, the Eastern I mean, European if, if that's all we're asking for is a confirmation of Article 5, and we've set the bar so low. That's not all we're, look. Uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 and I just want to note one thing. The, 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 the decision to go to Poland, I think, was a very good decision for him politically and and hopefully it signals uh, support for eastern europe and 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 a pushback on russia but that wasn't evident as hannah said from his speech and i would also note that in poland uh, there was a, a study came out last week pew research center uh, on how polish people feel about donald trump and his and how he is on global affairs and only 23% of people in Poland support him. That's down from 58% under President Obama. Notably, of 50 countries polled, one of the only countries where it's actually up from President Obama is Russia, where it's over 50%. It's over 63% of Polish Americans who live in the Rust Belt. And that's what that that's the thing that that's, that's great, the, but they yeah. don't have Russia on their border. Yeah, but they're concerned about they're concerned about the Pol the, the Polish homeland. I think those numbers would go up if the Pew Research Center did a poll tomorrow. After Maybe they'd go Maybe. up. Maybe you were going to say something else. Um, what I was going to say about to the Eastern European countries, affirming Article Five is more important than affirming it with Germany and our traditional NATO allies because they're the new members. They're the ones that want to be part of NATO because of Russian expansion. Mm -hmm. They want to be part of NATO because of Russian interference. They want to be able to look to the U.S. and say, help. So affirming it there, reaffirming it there, is probably more important than having done it uh, in front of our traditional NATO allies. And while it wasn't, he still, he still should have done it, but this is important to the audience. This is very important to Eastern European countries. It wasn't explained in the speech very well, but that three C's initiative, the states of surrounded by three C's, going from Croatia up to Poland, um, empowering them does degrade Russia's power in that region, doesn't it? It does, but that was not at all the impetus behind the trip. It simply happened to coincide. 
Um, and uh, fr frankly, no, look, Mike. No, Poland seriously. Poland was not even the first choice serious trip. No, look, se seriously. The, 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 president, the president arrived for the, for the meeting of the three season. He does not they care about the three season. Are you telling well, me that the staffers about... in the White House didn't, didn't look into this and decide, yes, this is the signal that we want to send to this audience? Is they did not choose the three seasons. They chose Article 5 in Poland on the day before going to the G20. And it happened to coincide. Okay, let's forecast uh, this meeting between uh, President Trump and President Putin. Do we get the President Trump who likes to be liked or the President Trump who likes to be feared? Sorry. <laughs> I was still thinking about that. <laughs> you still I'll start it. with Michael Friesian. Okay, Trump's going to really like that he's about 10 inches taller than Putin. Yes. <laughs> this, is a, this is a contest of two, a, these are transactional presidents. Putin's gonna, gonna, it's gonna be great to watch him because he's gonna be staring into Donald Trump's chest. And Donald Trump's, Donald Trump's gonna make sure that that's the case. And then we're likely to see workout videos afterwards. Like we saw with Putin, Putin and Obama. So I think it's gonna be great. I think this is a, this is, these are two transactional presidents. Uh, I'd call them A-type leaders. They're gonna fill each other out. And uh, everybody says Putin used to be an intel guy. He has the advantage. He knows how to study. Trump's unpredictable, even to Putin. It'll, it'll be fine. And the thing is, you're only an effective intel officer when nobody knows you used to be one. So, Dave? I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Mike is mostly right. I think I disagree with you a little bit on the importance of his Seven being. inches. But, but yes, the height, the height is actually extremely important. There's a wonderful story from the Bush years when Condoleezza Rice was having a sit-down chat with... Uh, President Putin, and he stood up to sort of try and intimidate her. They were sitting down. And she, of course, is wearing five-inch high black stiletto boots and so stands up in return and towers over him. And it was clearly something that he really didn't like. And Putin actually, Putin feels uh, the sort of lack of height oddly acutely uh, for a guy who's so powerful. But I do think you're going to sort of see the two men really dancing around each other, trying to figure out what advantages they may have over the other, whether or not this is an honest interlocutor. And there is something to be said about Vladimir Putin's sort of, um, you know, he always said, what did you do in the KGB? He said, my job was working with people. I worked with people. And it's the kind of KGB euphemism for, I know how to size people up. I see their weaknesses, I see their strengths, I know what they want, and I know what animates them. And I do expect that he will have done his homework in the way that several years ago he did his homework with Angela Merkel, knowing that she hated dogs, right. and of course brought a big do his big dog Connie into the meeting in order to sort of intimidate her. This is something that it's, it's part of a pattern, it's part of the, the, what he is and how he operates, but I don't think that'll necessarily throw Trump off. I think it's something we can expect. It's what we see from Putin all the time. But I hope that Trump has been prepared. I think his people will have told him uh, precisely what to expect. And uh, I think you'll see a lot of dancing around each other and trying to size each other up and see who is this guy that we've been talking about so often. Their foreign ministers have met the presidents, but not the two men. We don't think. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was a question in the campaign. I asked it, and there was a, a kind of a strange answer. But anyway, um, I don't expect much much from this meeting. But in fairness, I think with the first time two leaders meet in person, you can't accomplish much. It's about yeah. getting to know each other. I think that they'll have a very nice meeting. They have a lot in common. 
Uh, Hannah's story about the dog reminds me of a a story that President Bush told about uh, how when he was sitting with Putin, uh, Putin talked about his big dog and he said, you know, my dog could could rip your your dog apart. Barney, you know, Barney the little dog. Um, It'll be be an interesting matchup. Maybe maybe Putin should have the, in order to get over the height thing, he should suggest that they go... uh, uh, shirtless horseback riding. Would, <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I think Trump, uh, I remember uh, reading a long bio piece about Trump, uh, about how when he met with the Chinese, when he was doing business deals with them, he was very concerned about the power dynamics. So I think he will assess this out just as well as Putin has. All right, let's go back to uh, and wrap up with the, the investigation, where it goes from here, what the future looks like. We have more testimony next week. Where, where is the end game here, and uh, is it in sight? It's the, this is going to go on for as long as they can milk it. Um, so I, I, which the the goal is the goal. Does the onus shift? Does the onus shift? The onus shift is shifting. Then, the onus is shifting. Then already. producing the, the, the onus. The onus is shifting. The, we already were seeing the, that Wall Street Journal piece was. I, I read that thing three times, and I, I there's no there there. And I, I think increasingly people are recognizing there's no there there. But the Democrats are going to try to keep it up until the until the 2018 elections because they want to put the they, they'd like if they got a if they get a majority. Um, in the House in, in, in 2018, then they want to try to they want to try to go for impeachment. Even if they can't do it, they they want to tarnish the the president with this. But as far as serious people looking at the evidence, the, it's already shit. Dave, uh, I think um, Republicans like Michael Duran will keep saying they should wrap this up because there's no evidence, even though they have no idea what the evidence is. There's probably a lot more that has to be looked at. I think there are going to be a lot more surprises in this investigation. It has a lot more ups and downs. Um, Many of the White House officials have lawyered up. There are going to be more legal battles about what evidence is is not going to come out. Oh, thank you. That was uh, intentional, actually. The Russians. But I think the key things to look for is do some of the Trump's inner circle who potentially have criminal culpability, will they end up cooperating with the investigations and what will their testimony be and what will the financial investigation show? Are there financial ties? And and, and we don't know where that's going to go. And I would also say that I think Trump still has a lot of cards in his favor. So can he, he can play. he pardon key witnesses? Can he limit the scope of of this investigation in any shape or form? I think he can do a lot of things to interfere with this uh, investigation still and I think he very well might do them and it could even be he could even fire Mueller uh, and uh, and and then we would be in a very strange situation having him fired twice fired the prosecutors in charge of uh, of the investigation into him. Um, And I think Adam Schiff is right that we can't let the president choose his own prosecutor. But we don't know which of these cards he's going to play. They involve firing people involved in the investigation, interfering with the investigation by depriving it of resources, and potentially pardoning key witnesses whose testimony he fears. But on the flip side, is there a timeline where Mueller feels the pressure that he's got to either put up or shut up? I, people like Mike, Mike, Mike Michael are already putting pressure on him. So they, they, he will feel that pressure. I wish pressure. I could. He will feel that pressure. Um, and I think it's, it's the responsibility of everyone, uh, <clears throat> Democrats and Republicans, and there are some 
outspoken Republicans who also want to see this investigation go forward to explain to the American public that a good investigation, a thorough investigation, a neutral investigation is going to take time and we have to be patient. Even in this news cycle, we expect information, new information every day, every week. We have to be patient. Michael Preach, I'm glad you mentioned the American public. Uh, a lot of a lot of Democrats are actually going back to their constituencies and are being told focus on jobs, focus on health care. They're more concerned about what happens with the Affordable Care Act and what happens with the Republican replacement plan and jobs. The irony here is if the economy improves, improves and continues to improve, then Mueller can take as long as he wants because there's not a lot of pressure to fix the economy. If health care is fixed, the, the irony is that these things could continue. But you're already hearing Democrats that, that don't have safe constituencies say, maybe we should not be as aggressive with these things. You're seeing the calls for impeachment coming from very safe districts, from Democrats that are not going to lose, lose their seats. Again, if there are facts, I mean, I think everybody should rest assured that Russian intelligence tr tried to recruit Carter Page. Um, if I brought Carter Page in as a source, I would be told to cut him. Cut him. He's, he's not. He's not who you're. He's, these are not the sources you're looking for. Uh, Carter Page is not that guy. And then again, you, Manafort, Flynn. I've known Flynn for 22 years. Flynn's not a Russia guy. Flynn. Flynn's issue is with Farah, with Turkey, not with the RT payment that went to leading authorities, which is a speaker's bureau, and not directly to Flynn. So this can continue. But what I don't like about this, and you're seeing surrogates call for for Mueller to. You know, there's a, there's a conflict of interest based on his relationship with Comey. I don't like that Mueller's bringing in Trump's enemies with the recent hire of the New York attorney fired by Trump. What does that signal? Uh, it, the more it looks like a vendetta to get the president on anything, it has a chance to backfire much like the Ken Starr investigation of uh, Bill Clinton. But had Donald Trump been in Lake Cuomo for three weeks without access to an iPhone, do you think that this would have been a different Absolutely. investigation? Absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, yeah, so how do you translate a Trump tweet? You know, uh, I talked to, I went to, I had the opportunity to go to the Italian embassy and, and talk to the deputy ambassador there, and he said, we told Rome, don't react to the tweets. Wait, wait, there's policy there. Just wait, don't react to the tweets. So I, we should do the same here. Don't react to the tweets. Um, one thing I want to say on Michael Flynn's unmasking, as a former intel officer, I would have been able to go and show President Trump Flynn's cell phone number and his geolocation. And I would have been able to say, sir, this is Flynn's cell phone number being intercepted in reverse targeting where the intelligence community was looking at Kislyak. They picked up Flynn and look at his geolocation. His geolocation is in downtown Manhattan. And that would generate a tweet. The, I can't believe the Obama administration is wiretapping my office. Because that's what raw intelligence shows. A geolocation of the cell phone intercepted. The cell phone is Flynn's known number talking to a Russian guy, so there's no reason for a FISA court. You go after Kislyak, and then you try to catch everybody else in the net, and then you show the geolocation. And I think that's exactly what prompted uh, Trump's tweet based on some conversations I've had with people inside the National Security Council. Can I make a quick comment? Yeah. What does this say about the judgment? Forget, forget about my particular take on this. You have a nation divided pretty much 50-50. One side says that, that there's, there's no possibility of collusion. The other side said there's a possibility of collusion. Then you have an FBI that apparently, we haven't, <coughs> we don't know for sure, it seems was going to pay Steele for the dossier, for, for, for information about the dossier that he produced 
I'm talking about the, the dossier about all of the, the derogatory sexual uh, information about, about Trump and his relationship with, with Putin. That was, that, was, um, that, was, that was produced. We should say that the derogatory sexual was not the relationship between Trump and Putin. It was <laughs> not. not as far, as, as Let's far, just clarify that well, right as, for the... As far as we know. We need to investigate this. So that was, that was oppo research produced first by, by Trump's Republican opponents, then, by, then paid for by Hillary Clinton, and then three weeks before the election, the FBI... Was going to pay for that. Was may have paid money for it and was putting uh, was putting <coughs> a deal on their uh, on on their payroll. Now we have now we have Robert Mueller hiring the, hiring the people that, that he's hiring who have vendettas. Obviously, who, who have um, uh, Mueller has a relationship with Comey, a, a friendship with Comey. He uh, he's hiring people who have um, strong democratic ties and reasons to be opposed to, to Donald Trump. How? much can those of us who don't agree with this to begin with trust the results of that when he sends these when, when he sends these signals it's ex forget about the truth or not the truth it's extremely unwise to do business like this the the results of that report are going to be tainted before they ever come out huh. i think i actually agree with mike on on some of this magically but i i do think it was probably a bad idea to hire pre barrara uh, I follow his tweets, and I've seen some of the things he's said about President Trump and, and the investigation, and it doesn't seem to me a terribly wise idea for precisely the reasons that Mike laid out. Because if this investigation does turn up something, and if there are accusations or charges leveled, and the investigatory team seems stacked with people who are out to get Trump, it's going to have much less impact and be far less... Um, respected than it would have otherwise been. I do think Mueller should be far more careful with some of these hires. I think uh, Barrara's hiring was probably not the best idea out there, though he is uh, very well known, very good at his job, uh, and some of the stuff that he's done on grand corruption in particular, and we may have some of these tendrils that do involve questions of grand corruption, particularly some of these FARA um, filing lapses, let's call them. There may be a role for him there, but, you know, overall, I hope that this investigation doesn't go on any longer than 18 months. Uh, I hope that... It's a long time. <laughs> in, the, in the grand scope of these kinds of investigations, I don't think it is, actually. If you think back to the, the Ken Starr investigation... Which and, started someplace and ended someplace else. It did, and this one may as well. Many of these investigations do. You sort of go down a rabbit hole and... Uh, you take a different tunnel than the one you expected and come out someplace totally different. So I hope it doesn't go on much longer than that. I hope Mr. Mueller wants to go back into private law practice and, and make some money and enjoy some retirement. But that's not something I think that can be predetermined. All right, let's end where we began. Um, the level of concern about Russia, its aggressive stance, its moves, not only what happened in 2016 here in Europe, around the, the world. How concerned, geopolitical, foe-wise, should we be about Russia? We, we, should, be, uh, we should be very concerned. The, the one thing that President Obama got right about Russia um, is that, is that it's, it's weak and it's vulnerable. 
Uh, he's, uh, Putin has built up this, this he's, got a, he's like a guy with one huge bicep and everything else is weak. He's got his military, his ability to threaten people militarily, carry out these cyber activities and so forth. We have in our toolkit, we have all, of, all that we need in order to deter him and to undermine him. We just have to make the decision to do it. The Trump administration is moving in that direction. I wish they would go further, but they're moving in that direction. In the long term, the bigger problem is the rise of China. Uh, but 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 Russia is a very serious foe, but it's one that we can handle. Michael Preach. Uh I, I look at what Russia is doing in, in Syria and places like that. Uh, in Syria, I know the hope of the administration is that they can help help us fight ISIS. Uh, they're there to keep Bashar al-Assad in power, uh, Bashar al-Assad in power, and they're not there to help us defeat ISIS. So we should call them out on that. I have I have an issue that that we look at a sarin attack that kills 86 people as a, as a reason to intervene militarily, but we don't when Bashar al-Assad uses a barrel bomb or Russia uses white phosphorus and kills hundreds. Uh, we should look at those the same. As far as Russian interference here, we need to be on the lookout. We need to be on the lookout. Um, you know, I'm more concerned of how Russia can affect uh, Senate passage of a bill or House passage of a bill by actually targeting members. It's hard to target the American public. It's hard to change votes in a machine. Uh, and it's definitely hard to use your, your outed propaganda station, RT, to be able to put things out. But do they start doing what they do in Eastern Europe? Do they start building these dossiers on American politicians to get them to sway a certain way? And that's what I'm concerned about. I'm also concerned about the hacks of polling stations. But again, like Mike said, we have cyber, we have, we have uh, offensive cyber weapons to be able to counter these things. And we also need to pay, pay attention to, to what Russia is doing. But more so at this, at this point in time, more so about Russia's doing outside of our country and in the region where U.S. Uh, strategic goals are, are paramount to stability. Dave. Well, it's nice to end in, in agreement because I agree with both Michaels and their comments. Um, uh, Russia is a big threat to us. We are bumping up against Russia in so many different places around the world. The ones these guys mentioned, particularly Syria, but we see Russia, Russia has, an, you know, has a role to play with respect to North Korea, and it could be constructive or it could be very, very harmful to us. Uh, we see places like even like Libya, where Russia may be seeking to go into Libya because it sees a, a security vacuum like it saw in Syria. It sees a lack of leadership and involvement by the U.S. and by the Western countries, and it feels like it can move in there. And, uh, and so we are going to bump up against them in many different ways. And what's scary is that it's just not clear if Trump is up to the job. But I remain hopeful that he is and, and that he will find the right policy tools. And I think this trip is very important, not so much because he's meeting Putin in person, because I don't think much will come out, out of it, but because of how it will impact his policy and particularly what he will um, say to the other uh, leaders that he meets with tomorrow. And, um, you know, I would just conclude with you know, mentioning that uh, the framers of our Constitution, when they drafted the Constitution, one of the things that they worried most about was foreign influence. That's why they put in place things like the Monuments Clause. Um, that's why uh, they did everything they could to, in, in terms of drafting the Constitution, the limit of the ability of foreign countries to interfere. And I don't think there has been an interference 
since they passed the Constitution, since it was um, it became the law of our land, like the one that happened in 2016. And, I, and, and that's why I think this investigation needs to be go forward. We need to understand how that happened so that it won't happen again. So I do think we need to be very concerned about what Russia is doing, in part because, yes, I think you're right, Mike. China is the greater long-term threat, but right now Russia is interested in remaking the world order in its image. It wants a new Yalta too. It wants a world in which it is able to operate in a kind of um, spheres of influence world that it desires. It frankly seeks to overturn the post-1945 world order in Europe and, and around the rest of the world, and that is an intrinsic danger to the United States, to international security, and to the way that we in the West have chosen to organize and orchestrate our governments. Um, you're right. President Obama is right. Russia is comparatively weak. It has the GDP the size of Italy. It's not where it could be or should be economically. But a wounded bear can still do an awful lot of damage on its way down. It might get healed. It might die. But Russia, which is always sort of personified as a bear, if it is wounded, if it is weak, it can still do an awful lot of damage if we're not the ones noticing that damage is being done, learning how to make our societies more resilient. Here, I think, Mike, I, Pregent, I, I disagree with you about uh, the impact of RT, which is not very strong in the United States. But you do see several instances in Europe, uh, the, ca the case of Lisa, uh, the, the Ger Russian-German girl who was supposedly raped by a migrant. This is a story that got a ton of traction in German society and really started to people to, to question Angela Merkel's decisions, a question about whether German soldiers on NATO rotation had raped a Lithuanian girl, again, calling into question what is NATO even doing in Lithuania and trying to sow discord between the countries and the transatlantic alliance. I do think these things are dangerous. We're not the, the ones most... Um, susceptible to that. But at the end of the day, these things do make their way in insidious ways, very slowly and quietly, I think, through the system. Uh, Sputnik Radio just took over a bluegrass radio station here in Washington, D.C., and I'm sure they don't really advertise that when you tune into this nice new news station that it's run by the Russians, uh, or even call themselves Sputnik. But we do need to up our defenses, and that means things like media literacy. That means really realizing that cyber is something that we need to take seriously. We have to understand that it is really seriously a, a, a tool of war that we are beginning to utilize, the Chinese are beginning to utilize, ISIS could utilize it. It is the wave of the future. And if we don't, if we, if we get, let the politics, I think, get too much in the way of that, we're going to end up being the losers in the end, and Russia will have gotten what it wanted out of this whole thing. This bear is not wounded, but needs to wrap up this. Uh, <laughs> needs to wrap up this panel. Hannah, Dave, Michael, and Michael. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for being here uh, for thanks. this panel. Thank you. Thanks a lot.